0: This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Zach, that's Matt, that's Eric. Guys, we are digging into Matthew 9 today, and I'm kind of having flashbacks of Trying to set up Matthew 7. And I'm like, there's just too much here. There's too much here to kind of really dig into. But I will say, of all the stories that are not, you know, Golgotha from the Gospels, Matthew 9 records my favorite story in the Gospels. Again, that don't have to do with the actual, uh, you know, crucifixion and resurrection. So we will get there here in a second, but we need to start off with another healing. So, Zach, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off, let's get uh, Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8. And getting into a boat. Do we he, need to bring in someone in from the bullpen? <laughs> or are you doing okay? Guys, if you're wondering, that wasn't your, uh, your track skipping in your uh, car. That was Zach's brain skipping. you doing okay?
1: I'm good. Did Here you? we go. I lost it for a minute. I'm back Three,
0: though. two, one.
1: <laughs> and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and then they glorified God who had given such authority to men.
0: Now, I may have mixed some stuff up. This this isn't the uh, the same paralytic as the one where they, they destroyed the roof and like lowered him down. This well, is it I, different, I, or is it the same I one? I
2: think it's the same one. Just without again, that detail? Yeah, Matthew just leaves that out.
0: Okay, because again, a lot of the stuff is still the exact same, but I was anyway, I was just trying to kind of think through that because I think for me, guys, just to kick off this discussion here is in verse two, and when Jesus saw their faith, because I remember when you, when you look at that, that whole situation with the friends that carry a man to Jesus, like I love that story because they literally destroyed someone's house, right? Like imagine someone trying to, that's on your roof, trying to get through your shingles and all that other stuff just to get, get their friend to Jesus. And it's like, uh, I forget what, uh, the ghost fifth member of this podcast, Joby Martin says, but it's like, you know, you need to have a four corners type of a friend, like somebody that's going to be on one of the four corners of your mat. That's going to do everything that they can to get you to Jesus. But it's like that those are the types of guys that you want, but Jesus isn't talking about the faith of the paralytic. He's talking about their group faith. And so that's interesting in light of what we know about personally what salvation means. It's your personal faith in Christ. Because again, God doesn't have grandkids, and God also doesn't have buddies or you know second cousins either. So it's your faith that saves you. But it is interesting that Matthew makes sure to discuss their faith collectively here.
3: Yeah, I think that speaks towards the power of prayer. Like we 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 pray we pray in in intercession for our friends and the people that we love, and we we bring those things to God. Um so I think yeah, I think that's just a that is that is a good call to pray for those you love.
0: And also, this is one of the first sections here where we see Jesus knowing their thoughts. Like it's just kind of mentioned here in Matthew, but it's like wait a minute, like that had to be pretty freaky for, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day to be like they think this thing and then Jesus answers a question that they didn't speak out loud. Like you there's not really a corollary for us, like to where someone, cause you can be good at the power of suggestion and kind of know what someone's going to say next. Like a lot of magic tricks is kind of suggestion. They're kind of getting you to pick a particular number between one and whatever, and pick a particular elephant that starts with an, or a particular animal that starts with an E. I just said it elephant, like they're trying to get you there, but this is just something completely different. And I think it's just, you, it's easy to skip over as you're reading it. He's got so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't, they're, they're having trouble understanding that right sure. now at the moment. Zach, were you going to say something on that?
1: No, just something small. I guess, uh, I guess they're saying that it could be the reason why he talked about sins are forgiven first was just because that may have been uh, the primary issue. And I, I guess in some cases they're kind of linking, in this case, sin to the sickness that could be related. Maybe not. Uh, but I guess they're acknowledging that that could be possible in, in terms of the, uh, the people that are writing
3: about this. What I mean, Jesus is, he's literally proclaiming himself as God here. Like people that say Jesus never said he was God. This is a perfect example. Like no one has authority to forgive sins, but God, it's also interesting that he calls him son. There's not a lot of places where he uses that sort of language. He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Like that is a very God-like thing to say. And so I think he's, he's putting that out there. Hey.
0: This is why I'm here. Right. Yeah. I mean, verse six and verse eight, that's, that's the authority piece. That's, like, that's a huge portion of this part of Matthew.
2: Yeah, we assume that maybe he was depressed. And so, you know, mine says, cheer up. You know, so he was giving him hope about that. Um, I had written down Isaiah, 50, or Isaiah 35, five through six. <clears throat> as a fulfillment of prophecy, it says, eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the dumb should sing.
3: Yeah, I, I I wrote I underlined this man is blaspheming because they literally see him heal a guy and he he takes away his sins he give, he forgives him for his sins and I I just put a little note here that says Romans one I think you can find areas all throughout Jesus's ministry where he's like he's not trying to convince them like hey you come follow me like come come on come on you got to you got to get on this train he's letting them do what they want to do and. What, is, it's for, uh, what does Frank Turk say? God's not going to force anybody to, to heaven? Like, Against their will. Yeah. So like he's, I mean, I think that's Romans 1 just playing out right there in front of us Like, all right, cool, you you think that I'm blaspheming? Cool, I'd like go on, go on and live your life.
0: Not to go on too much of a Calvinist diatribe, even though that's what we do on the show. That's kind of like the subcategory of what this is. Um, to that point, to the Frank Turk point, I think most people are like, yeah, makes sense. God's not going to take you kicking and screaming to heaven, right, against your will. And C.S. Lewis kind of talks about that as well, to where it's like, you know, the ultimate form of hell is not like, it's, hey, yeah, go ahead, your will be done. Yeah, we'll go ahead and let you have your will, and you can create the world for yourself. But in light of, and there's no snarkiness here, but in light of what Calvinists believe in their version of theology is like, he can do that indeed. He can drag people kicking and screaming to heaven, like because well,
3: I would disagree with that because he gives us a new will, he gives us a new he, he we are a new creation. And so our old which self, which part are you disagreeing with? Sorry. Oh, that, that like that Calvinists would say God can drag someone to to heaven kicking and screaming. I, I think I would disagree with that like God I mean, I guess God can because he's sovereign, like if you're gonna I mean how sovereign is God? is he kind of sovereign? Or is he all-sovereign? Like,
0: he could do that, but I don't think that's... Is I that where like, we get into the discussion of the combination of sovereignty and human will to where it's like, what What am I... Oh, so like um, Pharaoh, when, it's, when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, we think, oh, God made Pharaoh act the way that he did? No. God took the way that Pharaoh was choosing to act and said, great, now it's in concrete, right? So it's like he hardened his heart. Like, this is what you want to do? We're going to solidify it. Is that kind of like what, well, I mean, what you're saying? Or
3: Most of the time, didn't Pharaoh harden his own heart? And then, right. there's, and then well, God
0: says, okay,
3: cool. That's what you want.
0: Right. That was kind of what I was saying. Yeah. Like when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart or, you know, it's, let me get the exact language as you kind of make your point. I don't think I had a point. I just, i I
3: think that when we're talking about God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility, I think. We are we inherit we in we inherit Adam's sin through the flesh. And so we can do nothing in our own like for our own salvation. We can't save ourselves. But when God when God gives us or makes us a new creation, like our our want is to pursue holiness. Our want is to pursue the things of God.
2: And want you mean by will.
3: Our will, yeah. Like so in that sense, like who, who God calls and justifies is not going to be someone who wants to continue sinning, who wants to be their old self. So like they're not like God's not dragging anybody kicking and screaming because he's he's made you a new creation.
0: So you would disagree with that Turek statement then? Is
3: that fair? Well, I think that's still a true statement. He's not dragging anybody kicking and screaming to heaven. I think that's true. I think you can be a Calvinist and believe that. Okay, I regret even doing this. <laughs> now I'm more confused than I was when I started. I'll go back to the, we can be so dogmatic about some of the theological underpinnings of our thoughts that those in themselves can become idolatry. Sure. And I really like what Ryan says about it. Like, I'm just going to rejoice whether somebody says I gave my life to Christ or God snatched me out of my sin doesn't really matter. I'm going to rejoice in the
0: fact that this person is now a new creation. I think the way that it matters, and I, I don't want to go any further down this rabbit trail because there's so much here in, in Matthew 9, but I think where it matters is how people take the Great Commission because it's like, I even had this thought the other day. I, w- I wasn't going to share the story, but I, I think it's, it's kind of relevant to just responding to a whisper, as it were. I'm walking through Walmart, and um, I see a lady that's probably in her late 30s, early 40s, but she was bald. She was wearing a hat. And I think she was walking around with a woman that looked to be the age of probably her mother. And it was clear that she was fighting cancer. And I had James with me and we're just walking and immediately it's like, you need to go pray for her. And I was like, no, I don't. And then I kept walking. And about two seconds later, I was like, uh, okay, I do. And so I turn around, I go up to this woman. I kind of tap her on the shoulder. I was like, excuse me. I know this might be a little weird from a stranger, but would it be okay if I prayed for you? And she didn't go, why? That's weird. Like she knew. And so I put my hand on her shoulder and I kind of prayed for her, prayed for healing. And her mom wasn't there at that time. But by the time I was done praying, her mom was there and she kind of got to explain to me, oh, it's breast cancer. And, you know, this is my second round of treatment. And I was able to explain, hey, my mom has fought breast cancer and my dad is a cancer survivor and all that. And so it was just kind of one of those moments. But it was like you could very easily have just said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's weird. I don't want to do it. And so a lot of people miss out on those opportunities to share the gospel and I feel like if you do have that deep Calvinist theology, it's like, well, I guess I wasn't the one that was supposed to share them. Or like if, if they're uh, chosen, they're going to be brought in anyway. Well, I, I think
3: we'd be in error if we were to say, yeah, it's not my responsibility to preach. And I always go back to Esther on this. Like you've been commanded and called by God to, to go speak to the king and save your people. If not you, God's going to raise somebody else up. It's your responsibility. It is to your detriment to not do that. It is to your detriment and to your eternal, obviously this is paraphrasing, but your eternal damnation to not be obedient to God. And I, we're called to, to go preach. And I,
0: If I may, Zach has had a poo-eating grin on his face for like the last two minutes. What in the world do you have to say? Speak, that's man, a, speak. It's nothing profound. I just,
1: <laughs> I think about Joby because he, he made a comment. I, I fly around a lot for business. And he said, I you know I fly around a lot for what he does. He said, I'll sit down next to somebody and I'll try to share the gospel. And if they don't respond, then I just figure, well, you ain't part of the elect. And I just start typing whatever I'm going to type, you know, and, it, and every time I think about this, for some reason, that's what I have in my head. First of all, Mike, if Joby ever sits next to me, I'm going to, that'd be a lot of fun. Secondly, uh, <laughs> we can maybe make that, you know, happen. CS Lewis says that, you know, from his perspective and he's not Paul, but he says that hell is locked from the inside which just, you know, implies, I think there's always going to be this dynamic pull between the two. I think I'd continue to stand that we just don't know. We just don't know. Ultimately it calls you to do things with your life and to be intentional about who you're sharing with and all those sorts of things. And at the same time, God's will is sovereign.
0: I will own that diatribe. Let's get back into to Matthew nine because there's so much. And by the way, I, I looked up; it was Exodus nine twelve. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and then it kind of goes on from there. And so, uh, anyway, that kind of goes into that point. So, um, when it, when we go back into Matthew nine, well, Matt, actually, could you read verses nine through thirteen because this is actually the the first calling of one of the apostles here? Sure.
3: As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners.
0: So there's a lot there, obviously, kind of a bold move here to call a financial extortionist to be part of your your inner crew here. Um, but I, I just want your guesses here because it's impossible to know. Is it safe to assume because Matthew has been so, uh, what is it, the opposite of verbose, but he's been so quick with details, he doesn't really bloviate on details could we assume that Matthew and Jesus had a bunch of other interactions before this one? Could you define bloviate first? (laughs)
2: That's a big word.
0: (laughs) Like when you bloviate, it's like, you're just kind of, you're just talking. You just have a lot of words to describe a situation or a happening. You're just kind of bloviating. You're just kind of going on and on with a situation. So verbose is the same. You're just very wordy in your description. Matthew's like the opposite of that. Like he's just basically, Hey, here are the details. Even earlier, like this, he left out the details of them like doing, you know, damage, property damage that would cause State Farm to come out, uh, you know, to, to someone's house. Cause he just left the detail out. Can we assume that him and Matthew had more interactions than this, or was Matthew at least tangentially aware of Jesus and was able to kind of see from his booth stuff that was happening? Because yes, can Jesus just walk up to the booth first time ever seeing the guy and go follow me? And that dude would be like, yeah, okay, let's do it. I just, I, I wonder about
2: that. Well, I, you know, here this, this is a thought. Um, I know that <clears throat> Jesus went to one or two towns and found like at least half of his disciples from the same town, like brothers and whatnot. And what I understand about um, the Jewish culture at the time is that when these kids were really young, they would memorize what existed in the Bible at the time. <clears throat> and then uh, later on, a, a rabbi would test them on their knowledge of the bible um but and the, and the reason for that is because they, they were looking for one or two that they could take under the wing to then groom to become teachers and whatnot um, but most of the most of them they passed over and the ones that they did bring in typically were the ones that not only had it memorized but also had some degree of understanding of how the scriptures flowed and the practical applications of that so Uh, all of the disciples that Jesus is called Jesus called at least the ones that were the fishermen and whatnot from the the small towns um, were assumed or presumed to have been people that had been passed over at one point. And so they just gone back to learn their father's job and vocation. And then that's what they were doing. And so when this presumed teacher or rabbi or, you know, authority figure walks in and says, follow me, they saw that potentially as a second chance, like I have a second chance to learn underneath the rabbi, you know? So anyway, I was
0: just kind of curious on that, like what you would think The the other thing I wanted to talk about in this particular section is, well, go to verse 11. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I've heard it said this way, and I'm, I'm sensitive to the argument, but Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. And I think that that is an important distinction because it it you can extrapolate that out into a conversation about where should we go as sinners to be where the sinners are because really you could this is a good discussion this is what i want you guys to discuss verses 10 through 13 this is you know hey why why are you hanging around these people because then we get into these discussions about what is the limit to what extent are we to hang out with sinners because there are people that like no no you need to go to brothels and preach the gospel to these women you need to go to strip clubs like, you need to go to the, the roughest parts of your city. You need to go to the gang neighborhoods. You need to go to the, where the Kingpin's house is. You need to go to those places. And it gets into this really interesting territory is when is your presence? Uh, I don't know if I want to say that. I was like, when is your presence sinful? But it's like if you're there while somebody is committing a crime and you're saying, well, it's because I'm trying to gain trust with these people so that I can share the gospel with them. This is where there's there's a great discussion to be had that I would like to, to hear y'all's thoughts because, you know, I remember X Church back in the day, they would go to these porn conventions and they would hand out Bibles to porn stars and it said, Jesus loves porn stars on these Bibles and people were like, oh my gosh, like talk about going into the lion's den. You can't, you can't bounce your eyes at an, at an event like that. Like it's just, you know, body parts everywhere, but it's like other people would say, well, where like it's not the healthy that need a doctor it's the sick and what's more depraved and sick than a porn convention like that's that's ripe for the gospel so what are y'all's thoughts on that
3: well i think i would first say we are not jesus and jesus could go wherever he wanted he wasn't going to sin and so i think we've got to start with that frame of reference right like we're not jesus um i also think we're called to not go like how to put this, I would say we're not, we're not called to go into strip clubs to preach like, because people that are at strip clubs, they're not at strip clubs 24 seven. So like to say, well, that's where all the sinners are. That's not the only place they are. So if I want to reach the people in strip clubs, that doesn't mean I have to go to strip clubs or brothels or wherever. So I, I think our own, our own spiritual health would take precedent over quote unquote trying to reach the lost there so okay
1: yeah i'm not a biblical expert or scholar but i cannot remember in the new testament anybody representing god going to a brothel which absolutely existed at the time maybe not in the holy land but uh, it seems like there's always some sort of a community environment where they're interacting with people that may you know be coming from bad backgrounds but they're not going into those environments knowingly
0: right?
2: Yeah, and I I was trying to remember the name of this, uh the author, but there was a book called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And um I remember him telling stories about him driving around in areas where known prostitutes were, and he would stop, and they of course come would would come up because they thought they had business and he would he would tell them about Jesus and then say, If I can I pay you to take this Bible and will you read it? You know, that sort of thing. I mean, it went, went no further than that. Uh, It was interesting and he got some backlash on that. I I understand. So, um, you know, one of the things that I interpreted from this and you actually get to it again in chapter 10, so I'm sure we'll discuss it again is, you know, Matthew became a person of peace, um, in that moment. And, um, he had some sort, we, I would assume he had some, sway with the other tax collectors. So as they were meeting together um and eating or, or hanging out or whatever, um <clears throat> I almost wonder if Jesus didn't see that as an opportunity for him, Matthew, to have a um an influence on the on the other guys um, in that same profession. So
0: Yeah, I would say kind of where I land on that, Matt, to to your point. So for me, as I've I've I said before, I used to have a problem with pornography and masturbation and all that. And that just hasn't been a part of my life for a very, very long time. But the temptation has not gone away at all. And when I mean at all, I mean at all. I mean daily. I am tempted to look at pornography and to check out good looking women like every single day. And so, like, it's easier whenever you've done it every day for thousands of days in a row to just add another tally to the list. But for me, I would never be the person to raise my hand to volunteer to go to the porn convention ever because it would just be too dangerous for me for the same reason that if you, like, I don't have a chemical. Bend in my personality, where you know pills or alcohol or anything like that gets a grip on me, like at all. Like I just don't have that. Like when people have to be very careful after surgery with, you know, how many opioids they take or whatever. Like I just don't have that. But if I did, I wouldn't be in the ministries that would, you know, hey, I'm going to go to bars and preach the gospel. Or I'm going to go to those types of places because I, I just don't trust myself to be able to overcome.
2: Well, and you, you know, I remember that. I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't know of any other sin or temptation in the bible where it says to flee flee all sexual immorality That's the one. you know so <clears throat> if if we were to take that and extrapolate it to a command and uh, it would make sense that we should not be going to those places where yeah. sexual immorality exists in order to preach the gospel
0: I think that's a good way to sum up that part. Before we get into the next section here, I did want to remind you guys that, you know, we've been asked by a lot of people to, you know, give them some resources like, Hey, I want to start my own forging table. How do I do that? Well, if you're watching this on YouTube, that stack right there, we've partnered with Crossway to put together kind of a forging table starter set. It is five incredible books that if you order them all together through Crossway, you get 50% off, literally Half off of the entire set. So, this set includes their brand new ESV Men's Study Bible. So, it's kind of like their ESV Study Bible, which is their best selling Bible ever, along with stuff that is just basically focused directly on men. It's a fantastic resource. Also, the Book of Romans Scripture Journal, study edition. So it's kind of like the journals I talk about often where you have the scripture on the left and the notes on section on the right. But in the bottom, this has the actual like ESV study Bible notes on the bottom there. There is a great devotional by Paul David Tripp called New Morning Mercies. That's included here as well. Douglas O'Donnell has a resource called The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition. This allows you to understand the different categories of writing inside of the Bible. So that helps you as you're studying. And then an extra one called Family Shepherds, by Bodie Bacham. That is a book that will help you understand, hey, this is how I'm supposed to catechize my, catechize my kids. This is how I'm supposed to be uh, the leader, how I'm supposed to perform headship in my household. Guys, again, this is not a commercial for Crossway. They're not paying me to say this. We just wanted to partner with a legit partner to get these resources in your hand. So easy three-step process to get those resources. Number one, go to crossway.org and create a free Crossway Plus account. Number two, put all of those books in your cart. And then whenever you get to step three, you are going to use the promo code at checkout BSSP50 for 50% off. That is Bravo Sierra Sierra Papa five zero. And again, guys, there's there's not like a, a thing on the back end where they're going to start charging you for Crossway Plus or anything like that. We just want to get these resources in your hand. And If you're driving right now, don't worry. All those resources and the steps and all that will be in the show notes for this particular episode. So let's go ahead and move on inside of Matthew nine. Uh, Eric, if you will start with verse 14 and take us to verse 17, please.
2: Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we all, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, but the patch tears away from the garment, and the worst tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved.
0: And so there's certainly a lot to discuss here, but I have ants in my pants to get to the next section, which is my, maybe my favorite story in the Gospels. But um, the thing that I'm struck by in this section, fellas, is that the disciples, it's easier for us reading this because we know the end of the story, but The disciples that are living this right now, this is likely in the first or second year of Jesus's ministry when this is happening, the disciples never see this coming. They had to have heard, the apostles and the disciples had to have heard him talk about this. They had, did they know that he was referring to himself? Like they had to have known that he was referring to himself as the bridegroom, but then he just slips in there. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. But they had to have just have been taking for granted that Jesus was just going to be there. Right? Like, we're not going to follow this guy, this Messiah again at this time. They likely thought that he was going to be a conquering hero. That eventually they would create some sort of a groundswell and take on the Roman Empire or take on the, the Jewish Sanhedrin or something like that. They certainly didn't think it would come this way.
3: I think there's a lot to be said. <coughs> I think this is the first time where he talks about himself as the bridegroom, right? It's, it's yeah, I so, yeah, I believe so. Um, I, think, I think too he's Calling that he's like fasting isn't a bad thing. Like I'm I'm I didn't come here to say don't fast anymore. I mean he says there will be a time for fasting, but it's not while you're with the king. It's not while you're with the bridegroom. Like I'm here. Be be present here. There will be a time for fasting later. But my disciples understand that they're with me now. And yeah, I don't I don't know. That's that's kind of what I got out of that. But I to your point, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know what it was like.
2: Is that the yeah. you think that's the same time when John sent folks to say, "Hey, are you the one that we have been expecting, or are we needing to wait for someone Let's else?"
3: I want to say that comes well in in Matthew. That comes in chapter eleven or
2: twelve, maybe. Oh, it does. Yeah. Okay.
0: okay. And again, this is not the Book of Matthew is not, not seen as right, the chronological, chronological yeah. book, so yeah, sure. uh, I'm I'm not quite sure for the answer on that one. But I just thought that was an interesting point with that section right there is, is again, Matt, to what you were saying. This is not like, hey, I'm rebuking people that choose to fast. It's He's making a point about who he is in reference to the people that would be fasting because that was the question. But also, they're
3: the ones that are bringing up fasting as if that's what is getting you places that you want to go. Like, they're so fixated, <clears throat> and I think this can be us too. We're so fixated on the do and like, what zach has said i like what i am doing what i am bringing to the table and that's just i mean that's all they're concerned with is are they not fasting like us we're good we're good religious people we're fasting
0: they're the whitewashed tombs so you would expect them to say stuff like that well ants in my pants no longer we're getting to this section here (laughs) so we're going to read uh verses 8 through 26 uh so zach you're up 18 through 26 okay 18 through 26 confused While he was saying these
1: things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had put, had been put outside, he went in and took her hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through
0: all that district. So this is what I going to say about this story before I open it up. So there are a lot of people that complain about the show, The Chosen. There are some people that have some legitimate gripes, and there are some people that have gripes that are just based on their own tastes. Um, the, The Chosen, I think this would be season three, is one of the only reasons why this story gets me choked up even thinking about it. Because they set this up so well over episodes and episodes and episodes, hours and hours and hours, to get to that crescendo episode where Jesus brings this girl back to life, where Jesus has an interaction with this woman that's had the problem of blood, and the thing for me is, I'm such a fast-paced person and reader, so I like the Book of Matthew because it's like, yep, just give me the high points. Like, let's let's just keep moving. It's like this is my action movie, right? But the Chosen was able to help me slow down and think about. For 12 years, this woman emptied her bank accounts and did everything she could to get well from this. Thing. And again, as men, we don't really understand what, you know, a period lasting 12 years is like. We don't have any really concept of that. But this woman was constantly unclean. She was completely outside of culture. She was completely outside of society. She would very almost certainly have been disowned by her family. But she knew that if she could just get to his garment, like I get, again, I'm getting upset now. If she could just touch his clothing, that it would make her well. This is 12 years of suffering. We don't, we don't do well with 12 minutes of suffering in our modern moment. Her entire life is suffering, basically, at this point. And then when he turns to her and says, daughter, she doesn't have a dad probably at this point because she's been disowned, and he calls her daughter. Yeah. That's not just a, a, a loose word, you know what I mean? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait a minute, the little girl's 12 and she's been struggling for twelve years. do you wanna take a guess as to what day that woman started having the problem with blood? Do you wanna you wanna bet it's the day that little girl was born, and on the same day Jesus healed them from from their ailments uh, again, it's just there's just so much here, and it's so rich and I am very, very thankful to that television show, if for nothing else, to show me this to slow me down to be like, no, this was not like a oh he she just walked through the crowd and touched it. This was everything to tons and tons of people that were connected to these two stories. Like it's, it's unreal. Yeah, it's
1: I, the first thing my, my, my mind goes to is that scene. Yeah. I mean, it's powerful.
3: I've never watched the chosen, but I, I did underline daughter that that title is only bestowed on one person in the gospels. And that's this woman right here by Jesus. Yeah. And wow. like, it is a very powerful moment. Um, 12 years is a long time having a period you are ceremonial uncle- ceremonially unclean for not just the month, but Mosaic law required a period of waiting even after that. So she doesn't even have a chance to wait. It's just 12 years, like you said, of just, she can't even go in the temple. And no one could be in her presence no one, yeah. at risk of being defiled right. as well. It, Mosaic law, like called for that. And so for him, for him to, to call her daughter, like that, you talk about offensive. That's offensive. But here's my point. Yeah there's a lot of superstition in her attempt right. to get to Jesus. And I wrote, I wrote this, this is something we talked about um, a couple episodes ago too, I think, is that you can find a lot of flaws in the way she comes to Jesus. She's seeking the healing and not the healer. She's seeking the salvation and not the Savior. And he didn't rebuke her for it even though theologically she probably is way off base and touching someone's garment. That's a very, that's a very superstitious thing to do. And you know, we could talk for days about Catholics and their Um, what do they call them? Um, rosary. they little, no, they're little objects. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like bones uh, of the seats relics. or relics. Yeah. 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 And so there's a lot of superstition in that, but he didn't re- he didn't rebuke her, but he did call out. He did call her out in a very loving way to where he made it a public thing where it wasn't just a, she thought, I think she thought she could, gee, I'm just going to touch it. I'm a, I'm a piece. I'm gonna be on my way. And Jesus isn't going to know. He didn't, he didn't unknowingly heal this woman. This is a divine appointment. God is a God of details. 12 year old girl, 12 year old flow of blood. Like, but he called her out publicly so she could experience him. She could taste and see that he was good. And she wasn't going to get a fast one on him. Then he calls her daughter and she, like there, I, I can't even imagine what was going through her head there, but I think that's a call to us to not separate Jesus from what he gives us because he is that like, like he is our salvation. He doesn't give us salvation. He is our salvation.
0: Well, I don't, I don't know that I would categorize it as like superstitious, but I, I think we're given more details in the other gospels when it talks about how, how Jesus stopped, like, Hey, power's gone out from me. It's like, he knew where, where it came from. The thing that I think about in terms of like, again, I can't put myself in her shoes. It's just, I don't have the, the, the lived experience, I guess, to use a, a famous phrase from modern, modern times or whatever, but we have to look at it. We already talked about, so she's been completely outside society. Jesus was probably surrounded by people at this moment. That's at least how it's depicted in the chosen. And you have to look at the, the context of the time he was likely surrounded. So she was elbowing her way through the crowd while bleeding. I don't want to be crass here, but she's, she's bleeding and it's perhaps it's not a controlled bleed at this point. She's touching people and making them ritualistically unclean. And we have nothing here in the text that, that shows us that there was any rebuke for making people unclean or any of that type of thing, just because she had the faith that that is what she needed to do was to get to him. And we actually don't know that she was aiming for his clothing, right? Necessarily. Like, was she like aiming for the clothing or was she just aiming for his presence? Right. And that was like an extension of it or something like that. So that, again, there's just, there's a lot there in terms of, and again, he's on his way to Jairus's house to do another miracle. And this is like, no one that's with him in his entourage is even thinking about anything other than Jairus. And then we have this life defining moment right in the middle of the crowd. Like, well,
3: Spurgeon puts it this way. This is, he says she was ignorant did not heal her unconsciously yet her faith lived despite this and faith is a big part of the bible and you know god counted righteousness to abram or counted his faith as righteousness and i like there's a lot to be said there like we can theo bro our our way through lots of conversations but faith man that is a big big part of our life and having that faith or trust trust would be sure the best way to put that
2: Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to have it all figured out, you know, but, but when you can have faith, you know, that goes a a very long way. Yeah. And I was kind of with you on that. I thought it was kind of a superstitious kind of thing, but she was just, she just didn't know. She didn't know what she knew. Didn't know. She just knew that this man is somebody that she needed for healing.
1: I don't want to belabor this point, but now that we're talking about it a lot, the other account, if I remember correctly, he says, he stops in the middle of the crowd says, I felt the power go out, but he actually does kind of confront her and he, He asks her a question that she then has to very publicly respond to. It's a different, it's kind of a different flavor than what we're reading here. And I just remember being struck by, it kind of felt like, like he was calling her out, maybe a little bit unnecessarily. Uh, There was a deeper point. I just don't remember what it was.
0: Let me actually go. It's in uh, Luke eight. Let me just kind of read this out. Yeah. It defaulted to the King James version. Should I read it? (laughs) Uh, Let's do it. All right. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood stanched. What is that? Stanched? Is that a word? It it is in the King James. All right, let's keep going. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, master, the multitude throng thee, impressed thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, Something hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. So that's the entirety of it in in Luke. Is it in any of the other accounts? Do you guys know? I think it's in Mark. Uh, Mark 5 Let's see okay. This is important So I, I'm, I'm good to take a little bit here Okay Mark 5 actually has the longest passage On it so I'm going to read that So guys if you are following along Mark 5 Matt do you actually have it? Mark oh. 5 are you on that? No but I can be. Fine yeah. I'll read it I'm not silky smooth like you okay <laughs> So I'll freaking read it Mark <laughs> 5 And this is 25 through 34 So I'll let you guys get there So you can come along with it as well A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them and she had gotten no better. Is this the freaking message? I don't know what version this is. I'm just going to keep going. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him, so he turned around the crowd to ask, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then they, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So if I'm reading this correctly, she was terrified because she maybe thought, you know, she had gotten what she wanted, but maybe she she took the wrong route to get there. And so she came to Jesus trembling and fearful, and he... He basically lifted her face, called her daughter, and said her faith had made her well, go in peace. Like yeah. Almost like nothing more need be said.
1: Yeah. Hmm. yeah, she was healed, and then he stopped everything, uh, posed the question so that she would have to come up, and then he had an opportunity, I think, to, to let her know that it was going to be okay. You know
0: on. what? As you say that, I wonder, again, I'm reading something into the text, so I wonder what y'all think about this. Do you think maybe he... Stopped to acknowledge her because wouldn't there be people in the crowd that would have recognized her as the woman maybe with the problem of blood to almost so almost like earlier whenever he healed that paralytic and then said hey go and tell the the priest or whatever so that you could be be brought back into society I wonder if this is that moment for that girl Mm -hmm. where it's like hey we're just going to do this now like we are going to acknowledge publicly that you have been healed and she came before him humbly expecting rebuke and he just said go in peace yeah your faith has healed you i wonder if that's if that was that maybe, moment maybe yeah.
1: i think another thing to not forget is that he's he's currently on a mission <laughs> to go oh, do yeah. something incredibly we haven't even talked about that yet and yeah. stops to take care of this yeah
0: uh, so can we i guess talk about him <laughs> raising a girl uh, from the dead well <laughs> like, no to zach's point
3: like this guy who stopped him um he's he's in matthew he's called a ruler Like, so he obviously had some clout and some, Mm. some, some position in life. And (laughs) I wonder what, what's going through his head. Like you're coming to heal my daughter. And then you stop to talk to this. I mean, I know that woman, I've Mm -hmm. seen her like, what the heck? So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot of social dynamics going on here. I sorry. I can't say social. In, in here
0: what's wrong with social <laughs> i <laughs> get out of here uh, but deviating. no the interesting thing here is so Jesus shows up and there are professional mourners at this time I think a lot of people know right. that these are people that are paid to, to wail and the more that they wail the more they get paid and all those things and I, I thought it was funny because Jesus tells these people go away the girl's not dead but sleeping and you can almost viscerally feel, and they laughed at him, mm-hmm. right? Because right. we are professional mourners. Hey, hey, Jesus, we're professionals. Like we know what dead looks like. Like everyone at this time, like it's okay. You can be an adult American and have never seen a real like dead body. Not so in this culture. They, they yeah. were familiar with what, what dead people look like and they laughed at him and gosh, what a bad time to laugh. Right. Again, they didn't know who Jesus was. But you know, in hindsight, that's like a ridiculous situation. And he goes in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. We can assume that we don't see that here in the text of Matthew, that mother and father are there in the room watching this happen. Like one, if not both of the parents watch their daughter die. They see her cold, lifeless body. And then some random Jewish carpenter walks into their house, touches her girl's hand and she's brought up from the dead. And I mean, again, Lazarus gets all the play in terms of, you know, people being raised from the dead other than Jesus. But I mean, again, this story by itself is enormous, but attached to the story of the woman of the the problem with blood. And again, we, we talk about uh, Joby's commentary a lot, but he's like, why does, why, can we not get a better name for the woman who had the problem of blood? Like, why do we always define these people by their ailment? Like not the woman who was healed from her problem of blood she's a woman with a problem of blood type of a thing but yeah like these two stories are so inextricably linked where we spent 15 minutes just on the girl with the problem of blood and there was a dead girl that's not dead anymore
3: well i think <laughs> to that point they're like you were known by your greatest or your 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 worst day yeah they like regarded as there's a there's, a, yeah. there's a renaming here He's, he calls her daughter. Whereas everyone else would say, Oh, that's the, that's the lady who's got the, the, the bleeding problem. And there's a renaming. And I think renaming is very powerful in the Bible. And I, th- I think this is, this is one of those times. And I think it's just a really cool thing to think like Jesus, Jesus renamed her. He called, he called her daughter, bestowed that title to no one else, but her. And just continuing
1: this, um, this theme of unclean and being made clean. You know, it says, touching a corpse rendered a person unclean for seven days. Mm. But Jesus brings the girl to life, transforming uncleanliness into purity. Jesus, or Jesus' power over death anticipates his later raising of Lazarus and his own resurrection. So again, he's just, he, uh, so many times as we've read just today, he's going in and, <laughs> you know, just unafraid to touch, heal, touch, heal, clean. And, and he's doing the same thing with us today, inside and outside.
2: And I, I think about this uh, kind of as it relates to revelation and, the, and how God's going to restore the earth. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very unnatural thing. It's all because of sin, of course, that we have death at all. Um, but God promises the restoration of everything to as it was, as he had planned it originally and had created originally. And so it's um, amazing to see just these wonderful acts that he's performing. Um, you know, how, how many people did he, did he heal in the, in his ministry? Who knows? But, um, just a, kind of a comforting kind of foreshadowing of what God's ultimately going to do when he remakes. Well, John,
3: those. John says the, the things that Jesus has done, I couldn't, it would take me, I mean, this paraphrasing, obviously it would take me days to write. Like there's so many things I can't even write of them all. And right. so we get just a very short glimpse of what his ministry actually looked like, but man,
0: Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus specifically gives people the ability to be born for a second time? But in the instance of this girl and Lazarus and whoever else that's not named, he gives them the opportunity to die for a second time. Like, isn't that kind of weird? Where it's just like, because I always think of it in terms of Lazarus, because I was probably around Lazarus's age when he died, perhaps somewhere in that. And imagine me dying, knowing I was dead, seeing a bunch of people that knew I was dead. It's like, well, it's cool that I'm alive, but I'm going to have to die again someday. That's going to be weird. (laughs) Like, you know, most people just get to die once right? And then they're dead for eternity in a way being removed from God. But that's an interesting thing on this story. We, we do have quite a bit more left in Matthew nine, but are there any other thoughts on this? Because I think it's worth camping out on not to, you know, pick and choose favorites in the Bible, but this is super duper my favorite.
3: Well, I, th- I mean, this really speaks towards the personal nature of Christ and golly God is, I mean, he created the earth. He hung the stars. The fact that he would like there is a lot of power in that story. The fact that he would turn around and have this experience with with this woman that that touched her very personally is a great encapsulation of what Jesus wants to do for us and how He wants to reconcile us personally. Like He wants to reconcile us as a people group, but then man, He knows the number of hairs on our head. That's how personally He knows us, and I, I think we. We should we should get emotional reading this story because that's us.
0: Like that's me. And, so, and I I think so much about I talk about resilience all the time. I'm the resilience guy, I gotta be resilient. This woman. Twelve years. Like again, like I constantly am reminded about how much of a puss I am by looking at real stories of actual resilience. Like for twelve years she she tried and she had to have had her ups and downs, but she found a way to the to the Lord. Like she found away. And so I guess that's my encouragement to people in our audience that are, you know, you're in a situation where you're fighting some sort of health element, or you feel like you're stuck in a, in a loveless marriage, or you're having problems, or, and you're just, you're not counting the days since this problem started, you're starting to count the years. And you're wondering, like, if there is any hope, like, my goodness, like, what more do you need to see? Like, 12 decade plus elements and death in a paragraph, Right. Um, again, I I would feel silly, but here we are almost, you know, 50 minutes in and we've been camped out here for a while. So I guess we should, uh, continue on with our study of Matthew 20 or Matthew nine here. So don't know who uh, read last. So Matt, you're up. Um, Jesus heals two blind men. Let's read verse 27 through 31, please. Sure. And Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him
3: crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district.
0: It's funny when you read it out loud. It's like, hey, hey, don't freaking tell anybody. But one moment later. Yeah. And then it's just right. And then they just spread his fame through all the district. I mean, this is the exact same result that we saw in Matthew 8, verse 4. One thing that is interesting here is they do use a messianic title here, calling him have mercy on a son of David. So that does hearken back to the fact that he is of the messianic line. And so this does give us evidence that there are people at this time that recognize exactly who this man is. Because in this day, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't just call someone a son of David, right? This isn't like a random, oh, hey, you know, hey, I really like you. So you're a son of David. You're a mensch. No, nope, nope. They're literally giving him this title that is not given to anyone. Like it's not a name that is spoken, right? You know, this is, this is a really, really big deal. 100%.
2: Yeah, I can't remember what was it last Chapter in Chapter Eight is when I think that was the first time they somebody had called him Lord, so you can see that it, there's a quick progression um happening where he, he's starting to kind of create a name for himself
0: absolutely let's uh, on the note that what, says yeah. um
2: it's referencing you know tell
1: nobody about this mine says also see note eight four twelve sixteen sixteen twenty, and seventeen
0: nine <laughs> so see the note where people didn 't do what Jesus told yeah. it's almost like <laughs>
3: God knows our nature, right? And he's like, man, they're going to do the exact opposite of what I tell them. So if I say, Hey, go tell everybody about this. They're not going to do it. So I'll just say, Hey, don't say anything. <clears throat> Cause I know you're going to just tell everybody about it. Like Jesus knows they're just going to go blast that everywhere. And he's not just be chuckling in to the himself, neighborhood.
0: Right? The whole district, however big a district is. But, yeah, these dudes went far and wide and spreaded this around. So uh, let's get into, uh, Eric, if you don't mind, hit verses 32 through 34.
2: Okay. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So other places in
0: the gospels, obviously we've this is a theme now. There's a whole lot more detail to this other places in the gospel. But it's like, again, why would Satan give the power to somebody to cast out demons via his power? Like that's that would be, you know, Satan basically cutting off his own legs right type of a situation uh anything else there i didn't really have anything to add on those verses did y'all have anything else to add there because
2: it's it's a little
0: bit straightforward
2: well, well the only thing that comes to mind is really from our last chapter and it had to do with the um about demons just in general how whenever they were being cast out of the two men that were demon possessed they they didn't they didn't remain idle they said Put us somewhere. Get put us in the pig. And I think the point was is that, um, or that I was trying to make was that that demons are they're on a mission. They have a mission. They they don't remain idle and they they continually fight for their superior, Satan. You know. And so, um, anyways, uh, just s- something I'm noting that that there there's always um, we're always getting pushed back uh, from 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 Satan on one level or another.
3: I think there's a lot that I think we in our sanitized culture don't give a lot of credence to the demonic or the spiritual, um, <clears throat> the spiritual realm, I would say. And so, I mean, obviously Jesus believed in demons, like he's casting them out and he created them. Um, I think <clears throat> that's why reading the Bible is very important. Cause like there is definitely a spiritual realm that, we are in. We just don't see that.
0: Well, I feel like as Christians, we give that whole realm short shrift, very, very quick story. I wish I'd come up with this idea. So I can't do it live, especially after I tell the story now, cause everyone will know that I'm plagiarizing, but there was this guy who was speaking in front of a group of people at a church and he bring and he has this book and from the stage, you can't see what's written on the book, but it just looks like a kind of an old leather bound book. And he was weaving this tale about, yeah, I was, you know, walking through this, this town and I went in this used bookstore and I found this, this book of se- of spells and, uh, you know, witchcraft and Wiccan and stuff like that. And then he opens up the book and he's like, I just want to read some of this so y'all can kind of see what it's looking. And you can hear audible gasps in the crowd, which gave this man exactly what he wanted. He closed the book. He's like, by the way, guys, this is a copy of Othello. And he just kind of sets it down. He goes, that's the problem with the modern church. Y'all think that spells and the occult and all that is super powerful. And yet you've got your Bible sitting right there on your lap. And he's like, you think that this book that I made, it's not a book of spells, but let's say it was, and let's say I did read it in here. You're telling me you're scared of that power, but, but you have like the, the gospel right there in front of you. And it's like, Again, that's kind of like we don't give credence to, we don't assign the power and influence to the right authority. Well, we sa-
3: sanitize it because, like, God, God speaks very clearly against witchcraft and, and all of those things, the occult, um, which he, he didn't say don't practice those things because they're just foo foo and they don't exist. Like, those things are very real. Mm-hmm. But I think we've sanitized it and we tell our kids, well, that's just make believe, that's just made up stuff. No, it's not. It's a very serious thing. And there, there, you could find dozens of stories of people who, I mean, we had one here in Edmond. Yeah. Um, Mike Lehan. Yep. Yeah. We talked we, about we, that on a previous we went episode. Down, yeah, went down that, that path and got into the demonic and the satanic. And there are forces at play. None of them, to your point, are more powerful than God. But yeah, we sanitize. Ah, it's just as ah, a make-believe. It's not make-believe. And we would be doing ourselves a disservice to, to treat it like it's just a made up fairy tale thing. Cause it's not
2: right. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many of you guys had friends? Maybe I'm the only one that had friends that had a Ouija board growing up, you know, someone had it in, in our, in the group, you know, and they were, they were, everybody was like, well, come on over and go play with the Ouija board. I was like, uh, yeah, the prince
3: and the power of so. the air is out there. And Paul tells us to fight against that. So he's not telling us to fight
0: against nothing. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, Zach, how about you wrap us up on Matthew 9, read 35 through 38, please. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages,
1: teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his
0: harvest. So, but the laborers are few. This alludes to exactly what we're going to get into with Matthew 10. Uh, One thing I did want to point out before we wrap, when he talks about the harassed and helpless, again, a sheep is exactly that. That is a harassed animal. That is a helpless animal. There is no defensive mechanism for a common sheep to be able to protect themselves. That's why they need a shepherd. That's why they need a sheepdog. But guys, we're going to leave that there. Even though there's more to say, we're going to come back uh, next week and talk about Matthew 10. So make sure that you are prepared for that discussion by reading through Matthew 10. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Right there in the show notes, again, for you guys that are driving or working out, everything you need to know to get your own forging table starter set through Crossway, all the instructions are there. Guys, you should definitely check it out. All these resources are amazing. And then also I've got a link to our donation page. The only way we're able to pull off things like the forging table, like everything else that we have coming down the pike, everything else that's in the pipeline is because we have guys hopping in on a monthly basis and donating to our ministry. So please go ahead and hop on board and be a part of the team. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, perpetua which is off their self-titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah